Just a quick editor's note. There are a couple times in this recording where I face away from the microphone because my cats are messing around and I'm trying to keep an eye on them. Yeah. Welcome to Brain Cage, where we discuss BDSM, hypnosis, and the mind for all those exploring their fetishes and interests. This is Puppet Master, your mentor for the podcast. And this is Dracosa, your hypnotic guide. Failsafes and protections. It's a big topic that we both are passionate about. And what we're talking about when we go into failsafes and protections are trying to understand things that you can build or make with someone through both hypnosis and BDSM that helps to address possible future issues as well as to prevent these issues from occurring. So if you were to imagine working with a computer or even with a procedure that you have, a failsafe generally goes off when either an issue comes up or a critical moment where you need to stop something from happening. Generally, it would be, say, a pull cord that would be able to stop you if you were skydiving. You would be using a parachute as a failsafe to make sure that you safely land it. Or for protections, it would be more along the lines of an ongoing piece, sort of like antivirus or anti-malware that you would put on your computer to prevent any issues from coming up. In terms of hypnosis and BDSM, a good example of a failsafe might be a safe word that you put in. This is more of a manual failsafe where someone can use the trigger to identify there is an issue and that they need to stop or have it addressed, whereas a protection might be along the lines of communication, where there's an ongoing way for them to feel safe. More specific examples of a failsafe and a protection might be for a failsafe, if, say, they are in the middle of a scene or they're in the middle of playing online with someone that you know, and let's say the family member comes and bothers them, a failsafe might be giving them the ability that if something disrupts them, an emergency comes up or a situation is going on, that they're able to pull themselves out of the trans or they're able to pull themselves out of the scene and be able to act normal and natural again. Versus a protection which may be if you give them a direction, such as, let's say, if they have a soft limit or something that you're exploring for the first time, a protection might be telling them if they begin to feel uncomfortable or unsure that they are able to lessen the effect, they are able to reduce what is going on so that they can keep themselves at a comfortable level. Therefore, in BDSM, it might be that a protection would be more along the lines if you have them tied up, see if you're into bondage. A protection would be allowing them to have a bit of slack in the rope so that in case they do need to signal something or in case they need to feel like they are not restrained to an extreme. Some people prefer that, but this is just for an example that they can actually move a little bit, possibly use their hands if they're unable to speak and have some sort of communication ongoing so that they can be safe. And a failsafe would be a pair of scissors nearby <laughs> to cut the rope if you need it. <laughs> I mean, for bondage, yeah, I would say other than the safe word, probably a failsafe would be some way to cut the rope or possibly having a specific type of knot since there are, Jesus, there's thousands of knots that are 
all different, but some of them, if you pull in a certain way, they can immediately release. So pulling against it, I mean, there are many different cultures that work with knots, so having a failsafe might be a way that you can immediately remove the ropes by doing a specific action. And we deal with hypnosis in a very similar way, except these safeties and fail-safes need to be put in at the time you're setting things up. Uh, that can be either before or after, depending on the context of the situation. If you were going through creating a scene within someone's mind, then obviously the fail-safes would need to come beforehand so that they have a way to either let you know that something's not right, bring themselves out of it. We'll be talking about different ways to be safe within these things. And a trigger, the safeties tend to come afterwards because then the person is able to think about the safeties in the context of the trigger. And that can help a lot. Right. But you can also set things up in a more general sense to give people an overarching control over themselves from within their subconscious. And these are lots of things that we are going to go into more detail about. Yes, and I think... One of the best places to start, especially since whether you're in hypnosis or BDSM, is understanding the idea of open versus closed conditioning or play in the sense of for hypnosis, more specifically for triggers, but for BDSM, more specifically the headspace. And the reason I say that is when you do BDSM domination, there can be open conditioning where you are training someone, let's say if they enjoy humiliation or degradation, trying to train them where they are responding to a certain form of pleasure or a certain form of experience. And this can be good for someone who is being dominated as well to understand is when you are being told something and that you are feeling it, such as if you are being told that you are in this position because this is what is natural and normal, this can program what's known as an open type of conditioning, where whenever this experience is felt in any situation within reason, that you will feel this response. And so this means that it is more the activity itself that is open, where anyone who is doing this activity with them can feel it, versus closed, which is stating something more along the lines of, you are feeling this pleasure because I am doing something. And it makes it more specific to the person. So a specific example might be if someone enjoys, well, I think whipping might be a little bit too much, but if someone enjoys being spanked, very common one, if they are being told that they are a good or bad person, you know, if any gender grouping that they are good or bad, such as some people like to be called a bad person or a good person, that this brings about pleasure because it is just a general point of it is because this is how they are. 
So whenever they're in that situation, it can be a turn on. But if they're saying that they are being punished by this one person, it makes it more closed where they are enjoying it because this person is giving it to them. And with hypnosis, it would be more along the lines of saying whenever I use this trigger would make it more closed versus whenever you hear this trigger, it would be more open. And the importance with this especially is fail-safes and protections are meant to make sure that a trigger is occurring when the person is comfortable with it and when they are able to respond to it. So setting it so it only works with specific people, say if it's a trigger to feel pleasure, you may not want a trigger to go off for certain people. If you can imagine anyone, imagine almost all the people that you might know in your lifetime, where it's families, friends, so on. If you have a trigger that ends up creating an experience of arousal, it may be good for that to be closed, since you may not want to have that going off around family members. You've been very good at work today. Oh my... <laughs> uh, th thank you. Um, I'm very tired. I need to go sit down now. Uh, but it's it's definitely good to know specific versus general. If you can have it where you are tying off an experience, a trigger, a response, BDSM hypnosis, if it's more specific, meant to be specific to a situation, using wording where you are describing or connecting it to what is around you is a form of protection because it reduces the odds that if they only want to experience it in that one situation, that it won't carry over or do a bleed effect into another event, another part of their life or another situation they may be in versus general programming where, for one example, I like to do a lot of stress relief, a lot of uh, tension reduction. And so when I work with individuals and I give them programming, I give them still a bit of specific, but I make it so that they decide when it works. It makes it a very strong protection because rather than it depending upon me to use it, it gives them the ability, but I give them very specific conditions. So the main things, especially if you're doing hypnosis, is to understand whether or not a trigger needs to be mandatory where you are saying when A, then B. So when you hear this trigger, when you do this during the day, this happens versus optional or conditional, such as when this trigger is heard by, or it's been said by, say, the person who is the hypnotist or by someone you may trust or someone you feel comfortable with. Since that's how I shape my triggers most of the time is either that it is based upon me using it or based upon someone that they trust, specifically someone that they trust using it. And even then making it an optional conditional where you can say, if you were in a situation such as an emergency, such as if you are dealing with something or if you are in an unsafe position, such as I have my partner, whenever she's driving, we have it so that she can reduce or flat out ignore triggers if she needs to and that way she can still remain safe she can still keep driving she can be around family members she can reduce it as much as she wants and it's really all about understanding what possible situations this may occur in now nothing's perfect and what i'm about to say i do want to cover in a lot more detail in a future podcast but with safeties in particular they're not always going to stop the trigger from happening. An example of this is if something is triggered a lot, then a person will get used to it being triggered. And so 
the trigger becomes partially conditioned, as well as being a hypnotic trigger, which is something that you should be aware could happen, and something that should be explained to the subject in such circumstances. Now, controlling when things are happening can be a bit difficult on the spot. The quick reaction, should I, shouldn't I allow this to happen, can be, it can be not the perfect way to go about things for certain individuals. So a thing I've done in the past with a subject of mine, we had previously created a beautiful landscape within their mind that I could bring them to the forest and a river, a creek. And I had them have a collection of stones. And each stone was a trigger. And what they could do is, because this was part of their mind, they had the power to redirect the river so that it no longer flowed over the stones. They made the river a metaphor for the flow of their thoughts. Picturing this was a very easy way for them to basically turn all of their triggers on or off at will. And as far as I'm aware, they still use it. <laughs> I haven't asked. So that's something that I've used in the past. One thing I would actually like to do, Dracoso, hmm. because before this podcast, we had a discussion about how we do safeties um, in our prep. And Dracoso brought up some things that I hadn't actually considered. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the safeties that I've used in the past, and I am going to update them after this podcast, actually. So the safeties I've used are that the trigger won't work in public unless you're safe and secure. Will only ever work with people you trust, that you feel safe and comfortable with. And you'll be able to ignore the effects of the trigger if you become unsafe or uncomfortable within the situation you are in. Now, even that's not perfect for everyone. I've had subjects I've been talking to say, well, that gives me a bit more control than I'd like because to me it's all about not being in control. And I'm just going to send this to Dracose so that they can see it. And if you come to Fetlandia, I'm happy to uh, post it at request. Now, what do you think of that? And how would you improve upon that? So again, won't work in public unless you're safe and secure. Will only ever work with people you trust that you feel safe and comfortable with. And you'll be able to ignore the effects of the trigger if you become unsafe or uncomfortable within the situation you are in. Right. What do you think about that, and how would you improve it? It is a good baseline to start from, the fact that you are allowing them to, well, pretty much to ignore a certain effect, especially if they're in a situation where they have to judge they can't respond to it. Now, for building on it, because this is a great baseline that you can work with so that they're making a choice, 
But as you said, it also means that if they want to be in a situation where they are helpless, they want to feel like they don't have choices, but you want to make sure they're safe. And so I think one big thing that you want to keep in mind, especially is if you want to create a safety, but you don't want them to feel like it's a safety net. Because in a lot of ways, you can imagine it kind of being like a tightrope, or it's the excitement of not having the net that makes it enjoyable. So what you'd want to do is create a method where they could respond without being aware that there is a net there. So, for example, I had one person who wanted to do CNC. For many of you, it is consensual non-consent. And they wanted to do events where they were not actually giving consent. They were not involuntarily, but they were non-consensually engaging in certain activities but as cnc works you give consent ahead of time so you discuss what you want to do you agree upon what's expected in the outline and then during this scene with hypnosis specifically is my experience as it may be possible with bdsm you are having them experience a scenario where they do not have control and they believe they haven't had consent, but they are enjoying the experience because, in a sense, they are taking control of it without being aware they're doing so. So there was an absolutely beautiful scene in, oh, sorry, at Ihu that I witnessed. Um, I won't say who it was between because I didn't have their permission. But the question was do you want me to do this? The answer was no. And then they asked, is it okay that I'm doing it anyway? And they said yes. And that scene that I saw was so beautifully CNC, and I don't think I've ever seen anything quite sum it up so well as those two questions with those two answers hmm so i continue no that's all right and that's actually quite a wonderful way to sum it up is people who want to explore cnc have a personal reason deep down but may not have a comfort to be able to openly engage or explore it and so to go back on this idea with fail safes and protection specifically Creating something along the lines, in my example I had once, was someone who wanted to do CNC, but I wanted them to still be safe. While in trans, I created a lockbox where we would put a trigger or a tool. Specifically for them, it was a phrase that by saying it, it breaks themselves out of the state and it lets me know that they need to stop. It's sort of like a hidden safe word that we program in, and that lockbox is closed. It's then taken off into the corner of the mind and put out of sight and out of reach until they reach a point where they need to use it. So if they ever feel uncomfortable, unsafe enough, or they feel like it hits something. As such, we never truly understand or know what is within our subconscious or our psyches in many ways until we explore it. And so hitting upon different things in life that we may not be aware of, it's good to have fail-safes to respond in case there are situations that neither of you may be aware of or prepared for. So with this, it was creating an underlying piece that they were not aware of so that they could feel helpless, but still be safe. So in some cases, creating something where they are able to enjoy the scene, enjoy the session, but not feel like you are giving them choice or control during scenes where they feel like they want to be helpless. 
to build original or sorry to build on what you originally posted the you will be able to ignore the effects of a trigger becoming if you are unsafe or uncomfortable the situation you're in they're able to ignore it and reduce it or mainly to ignore it my improvement upon that would be to understand that there may be scenarios where people may still want to feel the trigger just not as strongly such as if you want to reduce stress or tension i've known a lot of people who enjoy stress or tension relief but i also have known people who simply want it to get by kind of like if someone wanted to take some pain medicine rather than taking what would be known as the full suggested dosage they might just take a lesser form so they can reduce it for one example i had a friend who liked to still be tense and still feel some of the stress because they wanted to remain in a focused and active state where they could work on what they were busy with so having a trigger that they could reduce so that they could feel less of an effect but still have it there is one and then another one which was key especially to whenever i work with someone who i'm very close to i give them the ability to be able to temporarily or even permanently remove a trigger due to the fact that in hypnosis and also in bdsm there can be known as or there can be a reaction known as an ab reaction it's a term where we're describing when someone has a very negative response where they feel that they no longer have control in a negative way and may begin to react emotionally they may become very psychologically off balance where they may have to recover and so having a method where you can remove the trigger altogether can help give a person an internal sense of control where if that trigger is now becoming a negative influence on them making them uncomfortable unsure scared or worried this gives them the ability to flat out remove that stress and that source of tension so that they can get back to a sense of normality and be able to readjust and recover a trigger can always be reprogrammed so if they are comfortable with it having it removed temporarily gives more sense of safety overall and then beyond that i would say programming for failsafes and protections beyond the base that we're discussing there are a lot of specifics you can do based upon what they want to do mainly talking about limits talking about the outline of what it is that they expect and what they're afraid of having happen setting up protections that are specific to if they have phobias if they have fears if they have worries about what may happen building protections to reflect that may be good for myself i have a terrible fear of heights and i always find that if i am doing anything and it's funny because it's very ironic that one of my most relaxing points in life or most relaxing mental practices is to imagine myself skydiving without a parachute it's this sense of freedom where there's no matter what's going to happen the outcome is going to be the same and it's just less anxiety inevitability it's it's accepting inevitability but it's also just the sense of accepting that nothing will change it since for me anxiety comes from wanting to always feel like i can change something to keep it in a better state and it's just a release and so understanding that having a protection as some people may not like doing that activity and so specifically skydiving so having a protection where no matter what during a session they may feel like they are on the ground 
Whenever they begin to feel like they are worried or scared, you can use that as a protection for anxiety, stress, and just make it whenever they start getting worked up. Do what's known as grounding. You can do it both very literally in that sense where you're describing that they are on the ground, they are safe. And you can also use it as a way for them to balance themselves to get back to normal. And this is something of a fail-safe and something of a practice. Yeah, and like in BDSM, having the person you're with holding something and then dropping it when they need a scene to end. In the same way with hypnosis, you're using safeties to ensure that the consent that they've given is ongoing and continuous still. Hmm. Very true. And I think to talk a little bit more on the specifics for fail-safes especially, the difference between fail-safes and protections, just so that people can know a little bit more along the lines of how you might deal with each of them, Fail-safes are really meant to be put in to help respond when a certain point or condition is met, such as if they're beginning to have a high amount of anxiety, a fail-safe is meant to go off when they reach a point where they may feel like they can no longer address their anxiety, or if they are becoming overwhelmed by something. It's a trigger kind of like in a computer if there's beginning to have a critical failure or if, let's say, a virus is trying to take over the computer, a failsafe will kick in and say, this is where we need to stop these processes. And kind of like we said earlier with a safe word, it's meant to be something that is used that immediately causes an effect or immediately addresses an issue. And so it's meant to react before the actualization of the negative outcome. So rather than the computer crashing, rather than, let's say, someone getting so overwhelmed by pleasure that they pass out, a failsafe may be that the pleasure is immediately cut or the rope is immediately cut. And the main way, if you are doing this with hypnosis or BDSM, having multiple ways to address an issue is the best way to deal with it. For hypnosis, if you're going to put in a hypnotic trigger, so if we continue on with this idea of cutting off the pleasure where they are at the climax point, not like edging, where you're cutting off the climax so that they continue the pleasure, but instead cutting it off so that it stops. Outlining it in multiple ways helps to give them more ability to react to it. So outlining a cutoff point where they are about to reach the point of passing out, you can describe it as saying when you are about to pass out or feel like the pleasure is too much, you can feel like it begins to reduce, you can feel it is being cut off, you can feel as though your body is becoming cooler. If warmth is something that makes them feel like they need to feel more pleasure, you can address multiple aspects of it because when they're in that moment, like Puppet Master was saying earlier, an immediate response may not be easy for an individual to react with the failsafe. Having it set up where you describe specific things that are being reacted to that they feel during hypnosis like we talked about modality in the first the first podcast that we did being able to address as a failsafe in that sense if they are tactile where they go by touch describing what their body is feeling can be a very strong way to connect or condition in a failsafe if they're more let's say if they're more auditory making it so that they can hear a certain sound 
or making sure that they are able to respond as if a trigger, say, a bell went off, that their body would be able to feel that as a cutoff point. It creates a more specific and more personal failsafe that, if outlined in multiple ways, can give the person a much stronger response to keep them more secure and safe when exploring. I think it would be remiss of me not to give a very common example of a failsafe used in the hypnotic community. And that is a trigger called release. Pretty much every hypnotist I know will give this trigger, make sure that it works. And the release trigger, it can be said in multiple ways. But the way I phrase it is that the release trigger nullifies and ends any active trigger and I have it so that anyone can say it or anyone with permission can say it depending on the environment and what the subject wants so that the hypnotist can say it anyone can say it oh or just people with permission can say it, depending on what the subject wants. Well, one thing that I'm thinking of as we talk about this especially is that fail-safes and protections, one thing that you want to outline, whether it's in hypnosis or in BDSM especially, is that you want them to be seen positively. And I know that sounds obvious, but in the moment I've had subjects and hypnotees that I've worked with who, when we have a failsafe, it's meant to cut off specific points where it's become too much or where the hypnosis is becoming very intense and they need to protect themselves or they need, when I say protect themselves, as in they may be reaching a point of intensity that I find understandable that they may not be used to. And so there is a good point where failsafes can occur the main reason that I say you want to make it so that it is seen as positive is because I've had people I've explored with who have said before that they were worried that I would be dis disappointed, I would be upset with them, that mm -hmm. if I used that failsafe that it would stop the fun, that it means that I would be doing something that would be stopping your control and it might upset you. And it's good to understand that people who come into... BDSM and hypnosis can have a very strong, well, a very strong service mentality in the sense of I'm doing this somewhat for me, but I'm also doing this for them. And because of that, it can create this contradiction in their mind of using the failsafe means that I am upsetting them, but then it means that they are somewhat sacrificing part of themselves or their own ability to protect themselves in order to see the other person happy. So outlining a failsafe or a protection as being what is desired. The reason that it is made is to make sure that they're safe so that they can, in the long run or even in the short run, be able to continue playing, be able to continue exploring, be able to continue pretty much communicating and connecting. And what's amazing is I've had an experience where a failsafe went off and it made the person feel even more comfortable and confident because they had always let others decide for them. 
having it outlined where the trigger would go off the moment they felt like they were reaching a point that they could no longer safely control themselves gave them the ability to pull back and feel like we could go further, creating a safety net. Like the example of walking a tightrope again, having a safety net there means that they can feel safe to go higher or further. It means that they have the ability with less worry about an issue coming up, and that means that more trust can be built. So really building the failsafe out and connecting it to the fact that not only is it positive, but using it can even lead to more positive outcomes, especially because of the fact that, like we've said, we don't truly know our subconscious until we've gone and explored it. And even then there's parts that we may never know. But creating this safety net means that if there are issues that are reached, the person is able to more safely continue on in their original mindset without it having too much of an issue. Or if anything, it would have an alteration that is positive where they can begin to understand in a better way. And so exploring with fail-safes and I think talking on protections and understanding more of an ongoing system as protections are more of an ongoing prevention of unwanted outcomes. So while a fail-safe addresses more of a larger case, more of a an immediate response that is needed protections are more of an ongoing working mm -hmm. so i could easily say that allowing a person to reduce a trigger is a protection because it means that they can allow the amount that they feel a trigger or an influence can be pulled down another protection might be the specific versus general programming or influence and conditioning such as open versus closed as that's more of a giving the person a mentality that it's only going to happen during certain situations. So that way you reduce the areas that it can occur. So having it so that you can build out to reduce issues for now or in the future. One example might be programming it. So if they ever feel uncomfortable, unsure, or they feel like they need to wake up, giving them a staircase, giving them a ladder, giving them a string or a rope they can pull so they can get themselves out of trans or say during a session giving them a bell i knew one uh one very very interesting couple who had a bell that when it would rest on the hip they would have to shake because they'd be tied from i believe it was I don't know if there's a good way to describe it, but pretty much they'd be tied in almost a t-pose where they would be standing up their arms pulled out to one side and they would have their neck collared with a rope pulling them back, so that way they didn't have much movement other than their legs. And their uh, the Vega had created their own personal Jesus to a degree, minus you know the. Uh, I just wanted to make the reference. <laughs> I know. I just also want to describe that it's it's minus how that uh, situation ended, but yes, I would say. Uh, their situation they would have a bell on their hip and the person would usually wear rubber which would mean that the bell would be usually nullified unless they really needed to shake their hip and in a way it could be considered a fail safe if they needed to ring it urgently but they can also use it whenever they started feeling uncomfortable or anxious or if they needed to use the restroom or something like that they could just give it a simple hip was it a swing of the hips and it would ring once or twice, and it would mean that the person would need to check in with them. Mm. And so by having that system set up, 
they could have an ongoing protection and they could be given the safety they need and the knowledge that they are safe while still being able to be fully engaged and immersed in the situation. So protections, especially because they can be adaptable, I would say one of the main things to keep in mind about protections are whether or not they need to be flexible or static. And what I mean by that is a static protection is one that will not change. It is one that you put to a specific point. So if, say, during a scene, when you feel uncomfortable, ring this bell. That is very specific in the sense of this is what is expected with that trigger. A more open one, which will be more flexible, is whenever you feel uncomfortable, say something along the lines of this, or cue something that you feel is unsure, such as in public play, I had one person who loved to go out and do exhibitionism. They loved to be within the sight of individuals. Of course, they had a specific community, so don't worry about bystander consent. It was a specific group that would do this. And when they would go out, they needed to feel like if there was someone in the crowd they felt uncomfortable with, whether it was someone they knew, someone they didn't know but seemed sketchy or uncomfortable, or if they were in a situation where, let's say, there was something else going on, having a trigger or having a word selection that they could choose from, multiple word selections, they could use to identify how they want to be comfortable or how they want to be changed or moved around or interacted with, such as if they wanted to turn it into a pet play scene. They would simply have a sentence where they would say, I believe that this is what should happen now. And they would use that, and it's flexible because they can use it in multiple ways rather than having a specific change. And so having it flexible for the person to change it or use it how they would want to, allows them to bend it into the situations they have, as well as if you have a static one, a static trigger or a static response, it's good to use a different system that can build a strong conditioning that this trigger will protect them and can always be there to, to be used. Before we go, and where I'd like to take it next is uh, the topic of training, I would like to go into how to give someone safeties effectively, because, I mean, it's linked to training. Mm. But what tends to be the agreed-upon suggestion is if you have a set of safeties that you want to apply for all your triggers, Rather than giving each trigger you're giving, and then at the end applying the safety to all of them, if you give the trigger, give the safety. Give the next trigger, give the same safety with the same wording. What you're doing is reinforcing the same safety protocol to all of the triggers by using the same wording after each trigger. And by repeating it, it'll be a lot stronger within their mind and a lot more easily accessible to the subconscious. Right. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? Well, programming in safeties, there are multiple forms. You've hit on the two main ones, which are 
programming the safety in directly after each trigger mm -hmm. and allowing it to be a repeated programming so that a person can respond to it. The other one that is normally used would be doing it at the end where you say, with all of this, you will feel, you know, or that you will respond to each and every one of these triggers in this format. Doing it while you're programming each trigger is very effective because it lets the person feel like this is something that is hooked into each and every piece individually, and it's a part of the trigger itself rather than being a part of the session. Mm -hmm. There are multiple methods you can actually use for programming and safeties and protections. One example is if you have a specific item or specific, say, construct that you create for it. For example, I use a string for memory play when I have people who want to be able to remember things later on by choice. I have a string that I'll usually describe as tied to their pinky. It doesn't weigh anything, but it goes all the way right back up above their head, and it's firmly tied off above. And as we go deeper, it picks up pieces of what happens during the session so that when they return, they have multiple cues and memories that let them return what's happened. So that's sort of an ongoing protection so that they can remember what happens. And so creating constructs like that where you can have something they carry with them. I think a similar idea that you had brought up earlier, Puppet Master, was the rocks that they use that represent each of the triggers and they can turn it off or on whenever they want and so having these constructs in the person's mind can also be a program because this may whenever they try to remember it or go back to it they can refer to something else along the lines and this sort of goes back to a concept in cognitive psychology i believe it's known as the activation web which is the idea that the more pieces you have connected to it, it's an old, uh, well, relatively old learning technique you can use for school and memory, which I used back when I was in college, that the more things you have that are related to it, that you can mentally connect to it. For example, the concept of a tree. You can imagine connecting to the ground. You can imagine the idea of it growing. You can imagine leaves. You can imagine the color, multiple things, that when you have all of these connections that go back to it, it lets you more fully remember what is a tree, what does it look like, how do I remember it, and you can use that very fully to do the same thing for a failsafe. You can have multiple connections, similar to this idea that we had earlier with failsafes of outlining it in more ways. If you do the programming during putting in a trigger, such as during BDSM, if you reinforce before that what's going to happen during it, you can use this trigger. If you reinforce during it, saying during the scene, you always have this trigger. And then afterwards, a reminder and giving you that point again of this is there. It can be somewhat of a relearning curve, which again, another psychology term of relearning curve. It takes the first time around, you learn, I believe, 25 to 35% of what you've studied. The second time around, I believe it goes up to 65 to 75%. And then so on. And that curve gets higher and higher the more times you re you practice it, you rehearse it. And so being able to have multiple points where you're reinforcing it makes it more likely to go off when you need it to. But it also makes more abilities for the person to connect to it more quickly and have more ability to work with it. So when you're programming it, if you want to make it more effective, be creative and find ways to either reinforce it before, during, and after, or even find triggers that, especially one thing that I would say is if you're going to use a trigger or a protection that is personal to them, 
attaching a personal meaning, whether the trigger is a word that they are personally connected to, such as I had for myself, my fail, or sorry, my fail safe, my safe word was the word pineapple. And the reason for that is because I've had a lot of people, some who may even be listening to this right now, who don't believe pineapple should go on a pizza. So it's an ironic trigger for me because I love pineapple on my pizza. I'm sorry, I like putting sweet things on top of cheese. I have way too much of a sweet tooth. But Me too. Exactly. I mean, it's wonderful. I ate like two or three Cadbury eggs recently and I regret it immediately. But the more important thing is that it's a personal trigger that when I use it, it immediately allows me to feel connected to that trigger. And if my person that I'm working with is able to pick up on that and respond, it makes it more of a personal connection. So using words that are important to one another and even sitting down and discussing, say, a personal experience for them. So let's say if they felt uncomfortable and they needed to take control and they had a situation where they were empowered to do so, discussing that and then describing how the trigger will work almost immediately after can help to connect those so that they will feel empowered to do so. This is a term known as priming, which can be very useful when you have someone who you want to respond in a certain way. Priming would be talking about or discussing a certain outcome or reaction. We can talk a little bit more about a different point because I think I'm running out my uh, budget of psychology words for this podcast. But I'd say for the idea of training especially, this comes back to a personal understanding and awareness that one is able to protect themselves. It's an idea when someone comes into hypnosis, they will usually have a unique viewpoint or perspective or awareness of how hypnosis works, what they're expecting to have happen. And this can come down to a something of a spectrum as I imagine it, which is at one end, a person imagines coming into hypnosis and they have no control once they go under. And at the other end, it is they come in and they believe, or most experienced subjects or hypnotists or hypnotees that I've worked with will eventually build up and become aware of that our mind, our brain, we can actually influence it very fully and very directly. And so this gives us the ability to outline safeties and protections for ourselves internally, being able to respond when needed and be able to take care of ourselves. So if we reach a certain point, we know that our mind can respond. And so training takes a person from the point where they may believe that they have less control over their mind or may not be as aware of just how much influence they have over their own mind to respond to things. And it helps to train them towards a point that even if their main goal or their ultimate outcome is to have no control, to have complete and total freedom from their own will, thoughts, and abilities, training the person to be aware that ultimately if a situation goes negative, if they are struggling or uncomfortable or having difficulties, the mind is in the full control of the person within it. And we will talk more in the future on the idea of deprogramming, which is after something has happened, being able to undo it and work with the person. And the reason I bring that up is because of the fact that when something negative has happened, some hit, some subjects that I've known are able to just flat out undo or ignore a trigger and say it has no effect because they understand that their mind can do that. They understand that they can actually deny hypnosis or during BDSM be able to deny their own arousal, their own engagement, 
and they can have a point where if they reach where they're no longer comfortable, they can disengage from the scene in the middle of it if they need to. And so training or teaching and learning is probably a more friendly sounding term for it, is really talking about what is possible with the mind. You, when, I'm ta- when I say you, I mean anyone who is listening, you understand your past more than anyone that you can talk with. Some people will can understand it very intimately and know it, but you've experienced it. You've actually gone through all of your life and you've walked down that path, which I've referred to a few times in past podcasts. You know how your mind and your brain works better than anyone else. And so your ability to understand whether or not something works, whether or not it can be changed, and also understanding that no matter what, you are the deepest foundation in your mind. No matter how deep something may go or how personal it may become, if you think about it 10, 15, even 20 years ago, you were a very different person. Your mind has changed, it has gained, it has lost, it has moved, and because of that, it means that nothing in our minds can be truly permanent. It will last, but it may change. It may reshape into a new form based upon what we need. And to understand that especially means that our minds are able to grow and you are able to gain from the situations that you go through, meaning that no matter what a person can try and do or put in, you are the ultimate source of knowledge as to what can and cannot happen in your mind. So if you ever feel like something is happening where you're losing control, just like we're talking about right now, just as you're considering all these different aspects, teaching and learning about what is possible, and really finding people to share insights about what did you do when you had a negative experience. And you may learn that people will say, I went to someone who can help me, or I realized that I can just do something that will make it go away, or I've learned from it and now I'm stronger because I know I can or can't do something. So being aware of what your past may be and just sitting down and spending time to think about your subconscious beliefs and the ideas that you have of, is my mind going to connect to something or believe something that is truly a part of who I am? Or is this simply an additional part where I am able to flex or change or alter it into a state that I feel comfortable with. What are your thoughts on that, Puppet Master? I think all those points are good. There are some things that you brought up that I wanted to go over. There's a chance that I will have the brainwashing podcast done. I'll have finished editing it by the time this is released. A second editor's note... I meant deprogramming, not brainwashing. Thanks. And sorry. If so, I may be releasing it along with this one. The listeners will know if I've managed to get that done in time. Another note is that the way you talk about training is about the knowledge and understanding so that there is more mindfulness for the subject. But in terms of BDSM, training takes on other forms, like when you're checking in to see how someone's doing, which you do even if they've got safe words. You can incorporate training then. 
asking them if they feel comfortable still using the safe word. And if they say yes, give them praise for that. And making the safe word or whatever safety step that the subject or submissive takes a very positive thing can help train them to be more comfortable in using such. So that's, I feel, a very important technique to use, particularly with subjects that like to serve, as you said before, that want to please the person that they are doing this with or for. Training and conditioning in the BDSM sense can be a very good way to create a positive connection to the safeties, which will make them more effective. Right, and it's very important when you are talking and sitting down. I think a great example we can actually give is earlier on in this podcast, we were talking a little bit more about helping a person to feel like fail-safes and protections are positive, that they are something that, when used, you're shaping the mentality where they feel like they can use this in a more positive outcome, a more positive sense, rather than worrying about whether or not you are enjoying or whether or not it'll cause issues for the person doing hypnosis. Learning and teaching especially focuses on the idea that the other person can gain knowledge that will help them to have more options, more choices, and to feel more empowered and capable in situations where even if they are giving up full helplessness, you are giving them the tools to protect themselves. And so the main thing that I say is, above all else, fail-safes and protections are useful, but they will have things that can get around them. They will have situations where the person may question them or they may not always apply. And because of that, giving them training is a very effective way to give them more information to be prepared for. Which gives a, a connection to communication, learning how the subject or submissive thinks, and being able to apply it to safeties specifically for them. Yeah, that's very important. The main example I can think of is from a discussion that I've had a few times about raising children or teaching kids. And a lot of parents that I know nowadays try to tell kids what's right and wrong without giving them the context that the parents might have gone through. And in a way, I see it as giving armor to kids. So if you were to explain to a child, one old example would don't be don't go and talk to strangers. But then the issue also means, what if they don't know that policemen aren't strangers? Okay, we'll tell them, you know, you can talk to policemen. What about firefighters? Okay, you can talk to firefighters. And it gives them a very specific set or outline of what they can respond to. Being flexible helps to address some of this, but it doesn't always. And so the main thing that you want to think about if you were to be, from what I've learned, since in the past I've worked in situations where I've had to help kiddos to overcome their challenges, it's about teaching not when a then b it's about teaching why responding in that way is so important 
to be more specific, it would be like if a kiddo came up to you and asked, why is it bad to be mean to somebody else? And if you were to say, well, it hurts their feelings. That's a very basic understanding of why. And so it connects it. A deeper one would be, would you want someone to ha do that to you? And even deeper than that would be to just talk with them and to say, you have a choice between whether you want to do something good or bad in your life. If you want to do something good, it means that that person will connect with you. And in the end, you may see more good come out. Versus if you do something bad, you may see more bad come out. So giving them that context, rather than just giving them a straightforward answer and leaving out the context, it's the idea of parents may want to protect their kids and give them armor and give them all the answers. But if they don't understand the steps that it took, the processing or the reasoning that it led to that outcome, which is teaching, training, it's learning it can leave open holes where they have to make decisions for themselves without understanding how. Giving this training in the form of hypnosis and BDSM, it's taking someone who is an adult, fully grown, who may have never experienced this before or come across it, and so they may not have as much knowledge that they can apply to what they have to do in each situation. It's like going to the first job in your life and not really knowing how to interact with people in a work setting, and you learn over time. But with hypnosis specifically, so I'll do hypnosis and BDSM, but with hypnosis specifically, it's about sitting down and having the person realize that their own internal interaction within their mind can be far more controllable. Describing their internal mental scape as, for some people I've described it as something of a playground, they build it, they organize it how they want. For others, I've described it as a house that they've shaped over time, over their lifetime, that has as many basement levels as they want. They can build more whenever they want. And for some, it's just a mountain. It's a secret mountain base that they can go into and explore, and only they know how it works and how it interweaves and so on. Or a forest with a creek. Right, or a forest with a creek. And you make it so that they can understand it in a format where they can grow and learn from these pieces and therefore have more control over it internally when they need it. That way it's far more flexible, and now they are the ones applying it, rather than simply using it like a bell. Sometimes all you need really is a bell saying this needs to stop. Sometimes you need to have someone who can step up and create a more complex response. And so discussing that and sharing that, that form of training or teaching and learning, especially when it comes to hypnosis, is key. And when it comes to BDSM, this is more discussion around how the scenes may play out, how the activities will work. This is understanding where the person's limits are, but it's also sitting down and talking with them about, do you know why you've set up these limits on a personal level? Do you know what it is when you are exploring in this activity or why you enjoy this? Do you know why you enjoy it so much? What are the key elements that came into play? And teaching and training them how their past has led up to where they are now so that they can make more sense of it. And not only that, but discussing the dynamic during the situation. It's a basic during negotiation, but not only discussing what's going to happen, but discussing why it may be important to do each of these steps, why you can skip those steps. Since I know some people who've gone into BDSM have been very uncomfortable with trying to change a structure. They believe that there's some type of necessity for the dominant to do things in a certain way, and so they don't question it. 
but in reality, it may just be a pattern that the dominant may follow, and understanding why can help to give even more opportunity. I've seen when I've suggested to two or three friends to bring this idea of asking why and discussing why they do it in this way, half the time they come back with a dominant saying, I'm not sure, it's just what I've always done, and they look at it and they realize they can be flexible in other ways, and it makes it more personal. It means now they're not only engaging because it's an activity, but they're engaging because they are able to see where they fit in, and this allows them to flex so that they can actually do more or less, depending upon what's needed, and it lets the person feel more secure and safe because now both sides understand a bit more about what can happen and what they feel comfortable starting or stopping. And on safeties in general, the more subjects I've had, the more interesting and new things come up in terms of how I have to think about the safeties I'm implementing for the person. And on this subject in particular, if you need some advice on it, I employ you to get in contact with us because it's something that we are very passionate about. I feel like we'd both be happy to make time if you need clarification or help with anything. There's only so much we can do, obviously, but I know that we'd both try, wouldn't we? Yeah, it would be something that we're both passionate about. For me, I've had a past where I've almost lost very important people to me, and I've learned that figuring out prevention, figuring out communication and clear ways to avoid issues, miscommunication, and building this out, especially with teaching and learning, because I've had people outside of hypnosis and BDSM who have so much stress and tension that they don't know how to deal with it, or that it comes to extreme moments where they have to make a choice and they don't know what's right, and just sitting down and discussing with them to give them more perspective, give them more understanding, whether it's for kinky reasons, whether it's for casual or just personal reasons that are outside of either of those, it comes down to understanding that we only know as much as we are able to take in, and it may take more time to understand, but that being receptive, especially to learning more about yourself and realizing that there's always more to take in is something that I know I am very passionate about. I know Puppet is very driven for and that we want, and that's one of the main reasons we're doing this podcast altogether, is we want people to have the knowledge that they need or even want so that they can grow and they can do more safely, effectively, and in new ways that they may never have thought about. And that doesn't mean that we know everything. We'd never pretend to. Exactly. But I think that's knowing that Tricoso would never claim such is why I'm so happy to work with them, to be honest. The big thing I can say is, and I believe in this, is I have experience. I don't have, I don't believe in many ways that when it comes down to hypnosis or BDSM, you can say someone is a master of a craft, but I don't truly feel that you can fully master something. Because if you ever do, then that means there's no point to move forward. There's no point beyond that. And so I believe, especially overall, is 
I have a lot of practice and knowledge, as does Puppet Master. I've spent 15 years of my life hitting my head against the wall trying to figure out how to make things better and safer and more effective for myself and for anyone who's willing to listen when I go on rants. But I would say the biggest thing, if I had to really describe the drive that I and what I feel Puppet Master also have is, we are very driven to see what we have learned assist, help, support, and give growth to other people because in the end, ultimately hypnosis can be seen as a fun erotic playtime or as Puppet Master has tried to repeatedly convince me it is always sexy. And the thing that I can say especially is hypnosis is an exploration of not only what can happen but of who we are. BDSM is a way that we express ourselves in formats that we can engage more of ourselves. And in both senses, I feel that it's important when you're doing fail-safes, protections, when you're doing training or learning especially, we engage in these activities wholly with ourselves. Maybe not as much as someone else, maybe less or maybe more than others, but we engage in this activity because we want to learn more about ourselves and finding a way to understand who and how you are gives you more capability to do so. And it gives you more capability to help others gain the capability to do so themselves as well. And we, as Pope Master said, we don't know everything. I've accepted that I truly can never know everything. Trust me, I was in philosophy in college and I tried very hard to believe that it was possible, but... I believe that learning what you can, being open and receptive and willing to share, especially when it's for the benefit of both yourself and someone else, because that means that you then have a personal drive to go further, is possibly one of the best things that you can do, because it means that you're not only going to create something that aligns with who you are, it means you create the opportunities for others to also be who and how they want to be as well. And then your last point about me, I just hope that everyone that way inclined, stay sexy. <laughs> I think the only other thing I would want to say is, especially with mindfulness, it's always good to be aware of what's around you, what's going on. One example I had when I was much younger was a teacher told me to look around the room that I was in right now and to try and ask myself how many of the objects in the room were actually made in the country that I live in. And I was in a classroom. The only example, because he actually was saying that there was nothing in that room, I turned to him and I said, because we're, I'm in the U.S., and I just said to him, the fire extinguishers? He said, well, I'll give you that. So being aware just enough that you can make one little difference might be all that really matters. Thank you so much for joining us for today's topic. If you've enjoyed this, you can support us at patreon.com slash braincage. You can also join us over on Discord at Fetlandia and talk with us directly. Links for both are listed in the description. Thanks again for listening and take care. And the release trigger... It can be said in multiple ways. And the release trigger, it could...